Welcome to the Living Joyfully Podcast, where we talk about the intricacies of being in relationship with the people in our lives. Let's dig deep, challenge paradigms, choose connection, and live joyfully. Hello again, and welcome to the Living Joyfully Podcast. We're excited you're interested in exploring relationships with us, who we are in them, out of them, and what that means for how we move through the world. So in today's episode, we're talking about consent and living consensually. And I have to say, this is one of my very favorite topics. <laughs> it is really the backbone of everything that we talk about. When we understand that everyone, no matter their age, wants agency and that we truly have no control over another, we move from a power over dynamic to a collaboration paradigm. And it's interesting because I think intellectually, most of us would agree that consent is important, that we should never push past another person's consent. And yet in our desire to control outcomes, we often do. And this is especially true for children. And yet how can we expect children to honor consent as adults if they have never experienced what it means to work together to find solutions to, that feel good to both parties? And it comes into play in adult relationships as well in subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. We look to change people. We have expectations and agendas that we push without regard for who that person is and what they want and what they value. Yeah, exactly. And for me, consent and by extension, living consensually was one of those ideas that once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it, right? I soon recognized how often I was trying to very subtly wield control to move through situations in ways that made sense to me, especially interactions with my partner and my kids. And looking through this new lens, I notice now how disconnecting those control tactics were for my relationships. You know, basically someone was almost always disappointed or disgruntled in a family of five. But I also observed that many of our interactions were steeped in power. And at their root, they were about me, often very politely, but I was convincing, coercing, or guilting the other person into doing what I wanted them to do. Gee, that calls back to our last episode as well, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. And I realized how draining that was. My understanding of consent grew exponentially once I realized it wasn't about me convincing someone to agree to do the things my way, that's consent, right? <laughs> Instead, it was so much more about seeing through their eyes and recognizing that there are many valid paths forward, not just mine. Consent meant working together collaboratively to figure out an often new path forward that made sense still and felt good to everyone involved. Yeah. Right. It definitely harkens back to that episode and also to when we talked about how different people can be. Because when we push our agenda without consideration of how the other person feels or moves through the world, when we have ultimatums or even just expectations that are kindly and politely <laughs> put out there, we're taking away that other person's agency. And that is just not a solid place from which to build a strong relationship. Humans want autonomy. They want to have agency over their lives. So instead, we can learn about one another. We can commit to deeply understanding what makes each of us tick. We can set up an environment where we find solutions to problems 
together, trusting that we'll keep at it until both parties feel good about the plan. And that's really the core of choosing to live consensually. The process involves, you know, listening and validating, being able to clearly articulate articulate our own needs, but in I messages, not demands. After everyone feels heard and seen, that's where we can cultivate this open, curious mindset, this brainstorming type idea about how to solve the situation at hand. At that point, we're all on the same team. We're working together to solve for all the needs instead of standing on opposite sides, defending and advocating only for our own needs. And a big part of this is understanding that there are almost always underlying needs at play. So very often a conflict is sitting at one level that can feel impossible to solve. You know, one person wants to go out, the other wants to stay home. Where do we go with that? (laughs) But if we peel back a layer to see the underlying needs, then we have more to work with. We have more options to consider, but we can't get there if we're stuck in that place of thinking their actions are about us. If we think our partner is just being difficult, if we're taking it personally, (laughs) that keeps running. You know, there are needs on both sides of that argument and understanding those opens up the options. So maybe one wants to just really see their friends. So could the friends come over instead? The other had a long day and just needs some downtime. Is allowing a bit more time before going out the fix? Solutions are everywhere when we have when we assume positive intent on all sides and start working together to understand each other and the situation more. That quick reminder that they're just humans trying to meet a need helps us remain connected and curious. And now we have a puzzle to solve together instead of two or more people digging in their heels on opposite sides of this surface level disagreement. Yes, yes, yes. And for me, it made all the difference in the world when I felt we were truly all on the same team, right? Trying to figure out a way to move forward that met each of our needs. It was, it was such a big like energetic feeling difference so we can just take a moment to envision what that might feel like so when each person feels seen and heard and trusts that their needs will ultimately be met it is so energizing it opens up so many creative possibilities rather than locking two people as you said into that battle until one comes out the winner right there's a winner and loser in that situation who has the power who can convince the other one to do it their way. It definitely takes time and patience and practice to bring consent into our everyday relationships, but it really is life-changing. And I do want to acknowledge the time that these conversations can take as you work together to figure out those underlying needs, to figure out a path forward that works for everyone. But the other path, which is the argument, the power struggles, and then the aftermath of needing to repair the relationship, that takes up time too. So which process feels better to experience with those you love? Trust and collaboration or judgment and power struggles? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so that that right there was really a big part of me wanting to move in this direction. You know, it takes time and energy to argue one's position and to try to win everything. <laughs> you know, energy that I found draining and disconnecting. And I knew I didn't want to live in that energy every day. 
it felt very assaulting to me. <laughs> what I found was how rewarding and connecting it was to live in a house with no top-down agendas, no punishment or control, just connection and collaboration, whether, whether it was with David or if it involved our kids. We were all invested in helping each other meet our needs and do the things that we wanted to do. That deep level of trust that you will be supported and unconditionally loved is the energy I want to cultivate and bask in every day. <laughs> um, and so somewhat related, like over the years, David has had a lot of hobbies that people would consider dangerous, okay? <laughs> They're a part of who he is. And I've always wanted to support him in those pursuits, even when I didn't understand it. And by putting that out there, what I found in return is someone who supports all my wild hair ideas and whom I trust will always be there for me. That is worth so much more than me trying to control who he is and shape him into someone who may feel safer and easier for me. That's my work to do. And for me, it was rooted in gratitude for the time we have together and letting go of fear because fear is so often the root of control and letting that go allows us to find gratitude and connection to truly love those around us for who they are and how they move through the world. And that unconditional acceptance was what we both wanted to continue when we had children. And honestly, raising children in a consensual environment where we were all trusted and supported, where we learned to understand and express our needs and knew we would be heard and that solutions would be found has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. My goodness, so much, right? So much. I've been life-changing and an amazing experience. And I wanted to take a moment to talk a bit more about unconditional love and acceptance. Like, I love that phrase. And for me, it doesn't feel like throwing my hands up in the air and thinking, you know, whatever, whatever they want to do. You know, I think that can be when we hear unconditional at first, that can be what we think. Okay, no conditions. I have like no input, like whatever they want to do, just off they go. For me, unconditional means without expectations. So without conditions not withholding our love and affection if the person makes a choice that we don't agree with. Even more so, not using judgment and shame as tools to try to get them to change their mind. But not having conditions doesn't mean not trying to understand them as a person like we have been talking about. If they make a choice that doesn't make sense to us, unconditional love doesn't mean we think, whatever, I still love you, off you go. And then burying our feelings of concern so instead, we can be more open and curious. We can learn more. Maybe it's in direct conversation with them or by paying extra attention to how the choice unfolds for them. How are they navigating it? What are they enjoying about it? I am so curious. What the heck do you enjoy? <laughs> but either way, we learn more about them. We have a better understanding of who they are as a person. Because even if we often say, I love you, it is hard for someone to feel loved for who they are if they don't feel seen and heard. They think, sure, they said they love me, but they don't really understand who I am. Being in relationship with a person means understanding who they are, which also isn't a one and done thing, right? We all grow and change over time. To embrace consent and consensual living in our relationships with the people we love is to choose to be curious about who they are as a person, because that is a great place to start. Like just right there, like, who is this person? <laughs> right. And like you said, it, it's when we 
say whatever, I love you, whatever, do whatever. Like that doesn't feel good, (laughs) but it's like, so even if I don't understand something, I can ask questions. And just like we've been talking about, you know, over these last few weeks, like learn more about them. And then as we leave ourselves open to that, we start to, you know, we're seeing through their eyes, we're starting to see like, okay, it does make sense that they love this. I see how that's feeding them. I see what they love about it. And so that moves us from this place of, okay, I'm not going to stop them to I'm celebrating who they are. And that switch is so big to moving to celebrating, even when it's something we may not participate in ourselves or fully understand, we do understand through their eyes what they're getting from it. Yes. And we can connect. So maybe it's a thing that, yeah, yeah, I don't want to join you in your thing. (laughs) I'm glad that you love it. But where we can also really deeply connect with them is thinking about something that we love that much. Yes. Right. So when we know that it's like how much I love this thing, like then I can get a real feel and sense for how much they're enjoying the thing we're doing. And less about having conversations later about the facts of what happened. It can be, I bet you had so much fun. Like you can talk about the energy. You can talk about the experience. That's where you can connect with them and share and celebrate them. That's what I love. I love that point that you shared um, about getting to the place where you can celebrate their love of the thing. You can celebrate their choices without having to make the same choice, without having to join them. But we can celebrate that energy and knowing how it feels for ourselves too, right? Yes, I just love how you're saying that because that's the piece. Like we can celebrate how much joy it brings to them. We can celebrate their excitement about something, even if we can't celebrate the individual piece of it because we maybe don't understand it or it doesn't appeal to us. But that's irrelevant. When someone you love lights up about something, be it a child or your partner or your friend, like that's energy we can get on board with and celebrating someone for something like that. Just, it really, again, it builds this deep trust and bond that I'm seen by this person, that they really see me. And it's just really beautiful. So I love that. So let's give a few questions to ponder as we're thinking about consent and living consensually with your loved ones for this week. Um, What does consent mean to you? How do you see it weaving together with agency? I think this is going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, that that is so interesting. That connection between those two things, like, and just thinking about agency, you know, is that something I want to step on? How does it feel to have agency, to have choice? How does consent weave in with that? Yeah, I think that'll be really interesting to peel a little of that back. Um, Okay, so think about a recent argument you had and how you expressed yourself. Could you reframe, reword some of what you said as an I message? That can be both less confrontational and more accurate. So for example, instead of saying, you're not listening to me, maybe try, I don't feel heard. Rather than getting stuck in the endless round of, yes, I am listening. No, you're not listening. (laughs) And we have this meta fight that starts happening. You know, it encourages the conversation to go deeper why are you not feeling heard? I don't understand. I want to understand, you know, it just takes it to a different place. Yeah. And that's a great example of getting to the underlying needs, right? Because so often we can take that need and jump to the solution and share the 
Right. right? Not feeling heard. The solution, solution is for them to listen to me. <laughs> so I say, you're not listening to me, but they feel that they are right. So that doesn't click for them. So if you go to the root, to the need, the need is I'm not feeling heard then maybe there is a different way. Like it's less confrontational and it's also more fundamentally accurate. I'm not feeling hurt. That's where we are. Uh, If you can come up with new and interesting ways for me to feel hurt or for me to see (laughs) that you're hearing what I'm saying, that is where, that's where the rub is right now, right? I don't need to give them the solution that I think they need to do. <laughs> right, exactly. Because again, that gets us in that meta argument, <laughs> like which just never ends well. Um, okay, so what barriers do you see to living consensually and how would it feel to set them aside? And I think this one's important because I think for most of us growing up, we may not have had, you know, choices and consent in all areas of our life. So it does, it's not necessarily something that we have a lot of experience with, but I think you can feel the difference. And so I think even just the thought experiment of setting it aside, what would it look like to have this collaborative relationship with all the people that I live with? How would I feel? What, you know, think of the areas that rub or that feel draining for you in your day would changing that paradigm soften some of that. I think that'll be interesting. <laughs> And let's see. And the last one is this week, practice contemplating the underlying need that your friend or partner is trying to meet through their actions. I think write out some examples so that you can start to see patterns because this can be, you know, we can see patterns of when they're tired, (laughs) we get a little grumpier. It can be hungry. It can be things like that. And it can just be, oh, okay, this one thing kind of triggers the same type of argument each time. So there must be something else under it. And so I think when we start to look for patterns, when we start to think about Basically, for me, behaviors are always a reflection of a need. So when we see a behavior, whether we like it or don't like it, look at what's the need that's playing out here. And so when this is not in a charge situation as well, you know, then we start to just be better at recognizing needs as the, you know, the behavior is the reflection of needs. And then we get better at it. Like we said, it's just practice and learning. And so then we don't get stuck at that kind of mm, rubbing point of the behavior. And I think, I think it is so valuable for us to start with contemplating it because um, if, if you just all of a sudden start, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, when you're having a, yeah. a conversation or a conflict with someone saying, well, what is the need underneath? Why are you asking for that? What That can be off-putting and they, you know, they're not thinking in that way yet. So they may well not be able to answer that question for you. But when we start thinking that way, when we start like that example that we just talked about, the you know, you're not listening, but I want to feel heard. When we start practicing that over time, we get better with identifying those. And, and the other piece being, I also love your patterns note. Yeah right? Because there can also be patterns to when those things bubble up for them. And we can even, you know, play with addressing those needs. Like even if when somebody starts to feel a little bit grumpy and you've seen over time that it's often, you know, when they haven't eaten or anything for, even if we just like 
grab a glass of water <laughs> or, you know, whatever, yeah. bring a drink, bring a quick snack. Don't say anything, just hand it to them while you're starting into the conversation and just see how that goes. And, you know, back to the playing with it, but yeah, being able to contemplate it ourselves, you right. know, and start to see it without putting expectations on other people to meet us right there, right? Exactly. When we start doing this, they will get curious. We will have opportunities outside of the charged moments to mention these things. So it's something we can all get to, but again, needs time to practice, needs time to just kind of soak in the that self-awareness piece. When, when I make it have an action, what's what's my driving need? What need am I trying to meet with this action? And from simple things like, hey, I'm calling a friend. What's the, hey, I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling like I want to be heard by someone or I'm just wanting to connect. Like it can be anything, but if we start to just understand that the behaviors are always driven by a need, it just gets easier and faster to recognize them. It does. It does so much. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate you being here with us as we explore ways to improve our relationships and understand ourselves better. You can find us on Instagram at Living Joyfully Podcast. And join us next week as we dig deep, challenge paradigms, choose connection, and live joyfully.